0: Welcome to Equivalence by Eve List, a mission based initiative offering an unbiased source of info to people who aspire to make informed decisions and grow their career in companies who care about gender equity. I am Sophie Luray, and in this podcast, I want to open a dialogue about the notion of equivalence and how it looks like in everyday personal actions and corporate decisions. I invite change agents, men and women who are making it happen in their team, industry, and communities to talk about their journey, their practical tips, their moments of doubt and epiphanies. I hope you enjoy it and tell us what you want to hear about at hello at evelist.org. According to McKinsey's latest report on post-pandemic workplace trends, the COVID-19 crisis has supercharged transformations, driven by automation and digitization, resulting in a corresponding skills shift. Demand for basic cognitive and manual skills will fall, while the need for technological, social, emotional skills will increase. So you might think this shift was already underway before COVID-19, but it is certainly now accelerating and in an unprecedented global and multi-sector phenomenon. Everything that needed a change and was put to later now must be attended to. For example, the urgency to develop employee skills with the objective of giving them the flexibility needed to evolve their occupations. However, Many realize that their organizations are not prepared for such a major shift. So, while training and reskilling are essential and will act as the major levers to bridge the skills gap, a company needs to assess its culture and adjust its talent model as a whole to allow new talents to emerge and to innovate. So, today, to discuss that and how to build such a culture, I invited Tony Bond, the executive vice president and chief innovation officer of Great Place to Work, the global authority on workplace culture. Tony serves a key role in shaping the organization's culture transformation work. He's also an advisor for executives at some of the most successful organizations in the world, such as the National Basketball Association, the NBA, AT&T, Daimler, Coca-Cola, Indeed, Whole Foods, Dow Chemical, and American Express. He has helped companies navigate transformational change, people and culture change, mergers and acquisitions, and other initiatives impacting culture and human capital. Thank you for accepting our invitation. I left the big parts of your bio for us to actually discuss since I think it's much more interesting to hear it from you in the, in the context of your, your personal journey. So tell us a bit more about your career and, and mainly about what led you to do what you do today.
1: Sure. Happy to. I had no idea that I would be doing what I'm doing today. It's quite an interesting journey, but I was the one who was, when I was in school, really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. It's like I was interested in so many different things, but I ended up working with a Fortune 100 company in financial services. And I entered into the organization through this leadership development program, which now when I reflect back on that, it's probably the best gift I've ever gotten in my career. It was a rotational program and so when you started within the organization you rotated to different functions corporate finance marketing sales operations from that experience it really helps you have this global view of an organization how to see things from a systems perspective and so that was the way i got into my corporate career and so i, I spent many years working in that industry and most of my time was in corporate finance But I never had any experience with human resources. I always was curious about people, curious about the employee experience, but never really worked in that field. And so along the way, I I pursued my MBA. And then at some point in time, I realized that I'm very interested in this. Why don't I just explore it? And so I went back to school Mm -hmm. to get a graduate degree in organizational behavior. And during that time, one of my professors, uh, Chris Laszlo, who was really big into sustainability at that point in time. And this was a period of time where companies were really trying to figure out how to create more sustainable ways of working. That just really struck a passion with me. And so I started doing some work with him and others around merely the triple bottom line concept and really focusing on how do you help companies become organizations that have a more sustainable way of working, better for the environment, better for people, and so on. And what I noticed in that work was that very little attention was being placed on the human side of sustainability. You know, some of these organizations were doing a great job when it comes to environmental issues, but may not be the place where you would want your <laughs> relatives to work or your family to work. And so <laughs> just uh, through some uh, chain of events, met some people at Great Place to Work and uh, never knew the organization existed. They, that's what organizations uh, like Great Place to Work are truly focused on, the human side of the employee, you know, the sustainability and the overall employee experience. So that, that's what got me to where I am today.
0: It's funny because we start the journey always with an idea <laughs> and, and if you're curious enough, I, I'm, I'm not saying it happens to everyone, but if you're curious enough to allow you know, opportunities to pop up and, and just take them, it can lead you to a totally different, a different story and a different career. So as the chief innovation officer of a global organization that supports cultural transformation in the workplace, I assume that since COVID 19 hit, you've been very busy, Mm -hmm. and that post pandemic era that we're entering in is positioning your organization and yourself into a whole area of questions and of interrogation mark, but also of uh, a lot of work to be done. So I will ask you what's your views right now on, on the biggest trends in the workplace for the next three to five years and your objectives as well as an organization.
1: Right, really great question. So it's interesting. We may have gotten through the last large gathering. <laughs> Definitely in the state of California, maybe in the US, right before the pandemic really broke. And so in February. Every year we host a large summit where we bring leaders together across Mm -hmm. industries to really focus on what it means to be a great place to work. And so we held that event in February of 2020 and going into the event, that's when we started to get the news around COVID. And so... Uh, We were all frightened and not sure how we were going to pull it off. We pulled it off and we did it safely. But right after that, we all had to return and that's where everything changed. And so, you know, a lot of our business model is based on some face-to-face interaction with our clients. Uh, It's also based on hosting uh, events and bringing people together around this topic. And so we internally had to totally pivot. How do we remain relevant? How do we meet the needs of our clients? And so we relied on technology to do that. And that's really the trend that everyone had to go through. It's like, how do you totally adjust your business model on the drop of a dime, like pivot? And so one of the things that we realized is that we were facing a scenario where none of us really knew how to address it. If you were a leader and said you had all the answers to 2020, then I would question what you're saying. And so we relied on our ability to curate and bring other people together and talk about the issues that were going on. And Better Together really was a series that we created. And so we had executives and CEOs and CHROs come together and just talk about what was happening and the adjustments they were making. So we all learned how to deal with what we were facing together in 2020. And I think that's really a trend that's going to continue because ironically, you had a number of change initiatives going on at the very same time. You had the pandemic. We also in the U.S. have some really tough racial tensions that were going on. We had an election process that was very divided. And so as a leader, you found yourself managing a multiple change initiatives all at once and dealing with all these things that were all at once. And so when I think in terms of what are we learning from that, I think we learned that number one, Leaders don't have to have all the answers. I think the power in leadership is being able to convene and connect the right people. So building connections, building networks around a particular topic is the way that we need to really focus on things going forward. I think also the the important thing is we remove some of the excuses we've been using over the years of not being able to do things. If you think in terms of how businesses adjusted and turn their direction overnight, it shows that we can do things when we put our resources behind it fairly quickly. And so we've always struggled mm-hmm. with issues around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging within organizations. And I feel like now it was almost a vignette into what is possible. And so if we really put our resources behind it, put the right people around it, we can overcome some of these barriers that, that have persisted for years. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of what we're seeing is like the change in leadership, how leadership shows up, the change in how people work together We've also created great flexibility. And so overnight, people would put it into their homes and working from their homes. And while we couldn't manage what they were doing as much as before, productivity didn't drop. People got the job done and tended to their personal needs as well. So there's greater flexibility that was afforded in 2020 because of just the necessity, that's gonna continue. And so I feel like that's a great thing that came out of the pandemic. And the last thing I'll bring up is the whole focus on health and wellness we know that it's important for us to focus on the wellness of our employees. And out of necessity, we did some really great things. Cisco, as an example, had a whole platform that helped employees manage things as far as health and wellness, finance, and everything else. And so that's a big focus going forward. So those are some key things. Definitely can explore some of those in more detail if you like.
0: Yes, I would love to. I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, referring to what you were saying earlier on about sustainable development how interesting how suddenly people <laughs> mm-hmm. came at the, the the heart, the center of any organizations. You're, so there is no way any company in the world right now can afford not to pay attention to its people any longer. Right. And to me, it's what I've seen coming out of this year and a half now is a focus of pretty much every organization, every size to its people one way or another. Yes. Yeah. Yes. which is very, very interesting trend. It, it, it's not necessarily a good focus because a, a lot of organizations have decided just to let go people, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a focus <laughs> on how do we train, how do we recruit, how do we make our workforce more flexible, more uh, capable of, of uh, working as small units separated from a, a large organization remotely. It's a whole new way of thinking people in the organization that is taking place. So yes, I would love more uh, more examples and more trends as well. What, what do you think is going to stick?
1: I would hope that all of it sticks because uh, we've learned a lot. I think we know that organizations compete on their ability or rate of learning and how they can learn. And so uh, some of these great companies poured a lot of energy into that prior to the pandemic. And I will tell you that if you didn't have that as a part of your culture, going into the pandemic, it's very hard to create that in the middle of a crisis. And so these companies were sort of Mm -hmm. prepped or prepared for something like this. And so the whole learning aspect, creating agility and flexibility within your organization is going to be here, I think forever. I think it's also kind of an awakening from a leadership perspective, how we Mm -hmm. accomplish so much as an organization but had leaders who didn't really have all the answers. We really had to lean into our people. We had to lean into our values as an organization because some of the decisions that had to be made weren't within your HR policies or procedures. Nothing was written down on how to handle these things. And so what did leaders do? You have these set of values. They have to be more than just something on the wall. It becomes a living document. And so leaders really leaned into those values and made decisions based on those values. But I think those are all lessons that will continue as we move forward, without a doubt.
0: Yeah from a talent perspective, what do you see um, emerging from an employee perspective?
1: There's some needs that are quite obvious that employees have, and they are going to continue to have these needs, and they're going to be looking for organizations who really are meeting these needs. And one, I believe, comes to employee, employer, activism.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: I don't think business can be successful if society is sort of falling apart around it. And so you have employees Mm -hmm. who are coming to work, but they also care about their community. You know, I'm not just an employee, but I'm a person, I'm a member of society. I care about my community. And what we found in 2020, some of those issues like the George Floyd incident and other things, employees really want to see, does my organization have a voice? Will my organization stand up for justice? And will it allow me to be able to do the same? And so that's what I mean by employer, employee activism. It's like, people wanna work for organizations that have a voice, that take a stand. And so when you think in terms of getting the right talent and keeping the right talent, that's one thing that people are definitely looking for. But that's a trend that I think is here to stay.
0: Is it a trend that you, you see across the board in all your, um, I mean, you, you're a global company, you, you assess a lot of uh, organizations around the world, or is it more, would you say, is it more U.S. North American-centric? It's very North American-centric. I think there's elements of it across the globe. If you think, think about what happened to these best
1: companies, work got done, but also people created space where employees can come together and have conversations around what's happening in the world, because we have to make, sort of make meaning of what's happening. Uh, it's not like in these great companies, I just leave everything at the door when I, when I start work and I don't bring all of me. So if a company is mm-hmm. encouraging people to bring all of themselves to the organization and all of who they are, those are the things that come into the walls of an organization. So it's very US centric for sure, but I, th- I think also I think it's a global phenomenon that people want to be able to
0: yeah.
1: have these conversations, have these discussions.
0: I guess it's part of the sense of belonging as well. If you spend eight to 10 hours in, in a place, and sometimes even more now, especially that the walls of the organization have suddenly uh, vanished, your, your job is everywhere you go. Right. Like you said, you bring everything that is you into, into it. And even more than before, so because now we can, we can actually see our homes, our respective cats and dogs, and family members. So, yes, creating a, a safe space where things can be discussed and questions can be asked and people can support one another as well in those questions. I'm thinking of the conversation of gender, of gender parity, and recently it's it's coming more and more uh, obvious that men don't necessarily always feel part of the conversation. And it it is at work that you can actually share and that you can build this allyship. But if the space is not safe enough for men to ask as well questions to women about their experience at work, how can they support each other? Mm -hmm. It never happens as well. It doesn't fluidify in in the organization.
1: Exactly. And that's a really interesting dynamic because uh, part of what we deal with is fairness in the workplace. And we know that even today, people of color, women continue to experience a workplace not as fair as, as men do. And so if you talk to an executive, mm-hmm. their perception of fairness is almost three times, three to four times more than a female or a, a person of color. And so these conversations that were happening in the workplace is helping leaders understand where fairness breaks down in your organization. It sort of helps eliminate some of the blind spots let's say that a white male executive may have on how others are experiencing the workplace. It's a head, heart, hands scenario where I have to understand it, feed my intellect and better understand it, but also have to experience someone else's reality. And I think that that's the beauty of these conversations. It helps me experience other people's reality. And then from there, I can start to do the work to make it fair and justice.
0: Do you think communication is everything in in creating that empathy, that, you know, that (laughs) moment where you, you can receive what the other person is experiencing? Because it's one thing to touch the head. It's another to touch the heart. How do you touch the heart of someone when he does not experience what you're experiencing?
1: Yeah, that's where the power dynamics, I believe, comes in, because you have someone who has positional power, but may not have the motivation to change and do things differently. And you have people who are really wanting the change to happen, but may not necessarily have any power to make it so. And so that's the misalignment that occurs even in this diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging work. So your question is, how do you facilitate that whole change to occur? What we're Mm -hmm. finding is that, first of all, it has to be a shared aspiration within the organization. And so people, it goes beyond just the business case for this, but as an executive team it has to be a shared aspiration that this is something that we understand is important it benefits our business first of all and it's good for the employee and then it just sort of filters down through the organization so there has to be that shared aspiration and then accountability built into this for any change to really happen so that's the dilemma we've had for so long that Mm. people say the right thing we provide so much data around this but the heart doesn't really change. The motivation isn't there. But I think you'll find that the pandemic, I'll go back to the pandemic. If you look at some of the industries that had to pivot the most, whether it was healthcare, hospitality, the frontline people did a remarkable job of just adjusting and keeping things going. If you look at the distribution of people on the front line, you have much more diversity on the front line. So... We've known in 2009 during the recession that the companies that did the best coming out of the recession were those that created the best experience for women, or people of color, you know, for frontline people. So there's so much power there if we can maximize the human potential of people on the frontline.
0: I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, this business case about, I want to say it's the Taj Hotel, I think it's the Taj Hotel. In Mumbai, it's a very interesting business case of during the, the terrorist attack in Mumbai that killed so many people. And, and particularly in that hotel, there was a group of terrorists that, that just stormed the hotel within a minute. And none of the employees that knew all the exit strategy out of the hotel left that hotel. None of them, zero. Wrong. And they stayed the whole night. It was a whole night of terrorist attack. And they served their customers throughout the night at the peril of their life. And what came out of this uh, study was that there was a very specific recruitment process in that hotel. There was an incredible diversity of uh, employees, which is quite interesting. And they had recruited in... Areas where usually the hospitality industry would not recruit in rural environments, mm-hmm. where there was actually a sense, that sense of staying together that was so strong that it kept the, basically the walls up the whole uh, the whole evening of that terrorist attack. It's a very interesting case for recruitment and for leadership as well yeah, in building in this environment that is, uh, that is so strong that even a terrorist attack would not shake it. Right. The sense of service.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Uh, I recommend highly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: definitely going to check that out. That is a powerful story. Unbelievable.
0: So I'm wondering, like you said, powerful story. I'm wondering how much can we hammer the business case of diversity (laughs) onto (laughs) executives and leaders? And how can we bring the heart and the storytelling to... Because at the end of the day, that's what... it's, It's when someone finally understands, even if he doesn't experience, understands through uh, the power of, of emotion that he can actually uh, start making a change as a leader and therefore th- that change trickles down the, the culture of, of the company. Right. I, I don't know if you have the answer to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think if I had the answer to this, uh, that I would solve a problem that has existed forever. I believe there is power in stories. I, I, first of all, I, I believe that. Quite a bit, and I believe that it's important to have data, and we're in the business of data. I think it was mm-hmm. Peter Senge who said that it's hard to overcome a lack of commitment with more or better better data. And so, yeah. if I'm not committed, there's no. It doesn't matter what data you share with me. Uh, it may be hard to move me. That's why the stories are so so critically important. But if you have leaders at the very top who are passionate about this, and I think that leaders are starting to, because I feel like. What came out of the pandemic as well as the whole need for environmental and social governance. I think that's really, really important. That's, that's not an option. An organization has to operate that way. So if I do have that commitment from the very top, I, I I've have so many different examples of organizations who just hearing the CEO make bold statements, be committed to it, make sure that it's shared amongst all of his direct team and build some accountability around that. It does change. So it's like, you may not change everyone, but if you get some leaders who really buy into this, find those leaders on the edge who get it today, who are passionate about it, Mm -hmm. there's power in those leaders influencing other leaders because the message and the messenger is really important as well. When I'm hearing it from my peers and I'm seeing my peers really be a big part of this, then it gives me some incentive to do the same. So I feel like, Sometimes we take this network effect and we put a chief diversity officer or someone in the center of all of this, and Mm -hmm. we expect for everything to radiate from that person and change the whole organization. Yeah, it's hard to do that. But if those leaders, those networks on the edge who are doing it and getting it today shine a light on those leaders and get those leaders to be a part of changing the whole system, that's one way I believe it can be successful.
0: It's like having more role models as well in the leadership so you can see yourself as an employee one day being in that position. So, I noticed as well sometimes the easy way, if I may say, would be, oh, let's let's get a a chief diversity officer and he, he or she will fix our problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's take that person from actually from a background of diversity, but it's the only person in the whole executive committee that is from a diverse background mm-hmm. and expect that this is going to take when there is, there is no one around to, to mirror the, the conversation, to, like you said as well, to represent the change and to be a model, a role model for other executives to take suit. Right but it's changing.
1: It's changing, yeah. And we know there's also power to work in collective action with others. So Mm. if I'm a minority male and I'm trying to make the experience better for me, most companies have something similar to an employee resource group or a group that gets together of similar employees. And so if I can have those groups, but also give those groups budget, first of all, give them a seat at the table, there's power in that collective action that can come with other people who are very similar.
0: Yeah. Before we move on to another part of the conversation I wanted to ask you because when you speak it feels like you're speaking about very large organizations mm-hmm. what can be done at a at a small and medium sized enterprise what can be taken from the the examples of those large organizations that have you know big structure that have resources that can actually afford to have resource group and to allocate budget what can you do at a at a smaller Size of company, but you still want to build that culture of inclusion more than diversity. Actually, inclusion, mm-hmm. including and in a safe space for everyone to contribute.
1: Yeah, I love that question. And actually, I feel like there is a whiteboard. There is a clean slate with these smaller organizations, especially in more of a startup mm-hmm. phase. Because what happens is these larger organizations, you have the structure that gets built, and it becomes almost calcified. So when you try to change it, anything that's kind of incongruent with what the system already is today makes it very hard to change. And so you don't necessarily have that issue, especially in a startup environment. And so I've personally been invited in to speak to a lot of companies that are small, just getting their feet wet in this. There's so much energy and so much passion that you don't have the structural things that are already been built in some of the larger organizations. So I see that there's probably, there's more of a lever that you can pull in smaller organizations. You can have those conversations, meaningful conversations much easier within a small organization. So I, I would say mm-hmm. that's, that's an advantage for sure. It gets much more difficult to scale, what I'm describing. Yeah. So if you have a leader, people have direct, a- number one is they have direct access to the leader for the most part, even the CEO than they would in a larger organization. And so the connections that are being made within the organization are much stronger and easier to make connections at the very top. So the things I'm describing to you can scale much quicker in a smaller or medium-sized organization.
0: Mm. Do you think it's a generational thing as well? Because, I mean, most of the startups would be typically started by a new generation. And would you think there could be a reason as well? For, for that in the fact that this generation is, is aspiring to more inclusive workspace?
1: Probably so. Yeah, it's, it's becoming almost a requirement, I would say. But, but still, you have the younger generation. If you think about what happened on the Capitol in the US, you look at the mm-hmm. video of some of the people there. There were some very young people who were there. So it's not that easy, but I believe that overall, the younger generation is looking for a more inclusive work environment. Mm. Maybe have views on diversity, equity, inclusion that are different than someone from my generation.
0: Yeah.
1: The interesting thing is, you know, I, I've talked to some young people and they were like, I don't really get this whole thing of how we categorize people. And that's this, this, and this. And so they mm. it will be very interesting to do research for the younger generation just on how they view this particular topic. But I, I think there overall there's much more of a desire to have what we're doing. A talking desire, about. yeah. Yes.
0: I think that compared to our generation as well, there was a, a sense of, I, I know when I started working, I had probably the, the exact same aspiration, but I would just not talk about it mm-hmm. because you would not do it. It was just, you know, you had to do your job and, and just just hope that you're going to get <laughs> recognized and, and, and that was it. So there's this sense of in that new generation of whatever we believe in, we want to make sure that our beliefs are, are being known right. <laughs> very clearly. Very clearly. Yeah,
1: in my generation, like the dad was sort of the head of the household, and so what what dad said went, and so everyone sort of followed that. But our kids grew up where they saw their parents have an equal say so in everything, and so they saw that equal in exchange between a man and a woman. But also, they felt like I have a voice; I can bring things up, and so I think they've grown up that way. It's like, why go through the chain of commands if I have something to say? I'll just go right to the CEO and same
0: so it's it's totally different or the capital yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so talking a bit more about because we've really dove in the conversation without explaining to those who don't necessarily know great place to work i think most of our audience will know but one of your main expertise and it's analytics and and research but it's really to support companies to build a a culture of of innovation Mm -hmm. so I'd I'd like to know more about it and and what does it look like practically I guess within your workplace uh, because I know that as an organization you you walk the talk mm-hmm. but uh, giving us as well some examples uh, I'd love to know some examples you know with 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 the NBA with Coca-Cola with any anyone you want to talk about
1: Yeah sure we um, can
0: talk about <laughs>
1: <laughs> I may make some reference and not really name the company but I can give you some scenarios uh, mm-hmm. Great Place to Work has been around for over 30 years now. So we were early in the culture game, when you think in terms of measuring workplace culture. And so we are our global organization. We survey employees across all industries. So we've collected quite a large database related to workplace culture over the years. And the things that we really measure are three relationships the relationship people have with their leader, the relationship they have with the work that they do, and then the relationship they have with the people they work with. So those are the three areas we're capturing in the statements or questions we ask people. And when you think in terms of relationship with the leader, we're looking at whether or not you feel like the leader is credible, you know, can make the right decisions, is available, and I can have contact with them in communications, whether or not the leader creates a culture of fairness for everyone, and then whether or not the leader respects me. And the respect shows up in how I'm developed, the type of benefits you offer me, how you see me as a person. And so those are the three areas that we know are driven by leadership and they create a sense of trust. And trust is a word we use quite a bit. And so when you think in terms of innovation, before it was maybe a bit of a nice thing to do. Now it's it's a must thing. Because of the pandemic, we're kind of in this in-between stage. We're not what we used to be. We're probably not what we're going to be. And so that leaves a right scenario for innovation. And what we know from our studies is that when people say that they've been involved in some sort of innovation, some sort of a creativity, like idea sharing, that they are more willing to come to work. They are more willing to tell others about the great place where they work. And they're also very ready for change. It's like when you talk to employees, there are 11 people, when they've been involved in innovation, there are 11 people who say that I'm ready for change to every one person who isn't ready for change. So if we're looking for an agile culture that can quickly make changes, this is a part of it. And so how does culture play into that? One of the first things, one of the foundational things is having psychological safety. Because if I feel like you gave an example, coming to work, not really being able to say things are really on my mind. If that's the scenario, I'm not getting the best ideas from everyone. And so we measure the level of psychological safety that people have in the workplace. Because we know that that's really, creating the space for me to step in and say things. And then we also are looking at things around communication. It's very difficult for me to bring up forth ideas if I really don't see the big picture. So how well are leaders connecting people with the strategy? Not just from a thought perspective, but an emotional perspective. So that's really, really important. We also look at, you know, how is it to work with others? What's the collaboration like? So a company that's right for innovation has all those things working at the same time. There's a high level of yeah. trust. I trust my leader, my leader trusts me. They communicate well with me. They create a sense of psychological safety. The people that I work with, we're all in this together. And no matter who, what box I check on the census, I feel like I'm a part of the team. And also I'm being trained and developed along the way. So that, that's really the nice. thing. So we have this kind of an innovation velocity ratio. We ask people on surveys, have you been involved in innovation? And when people say they have been, it tells a totally different story. So what we try to do is encourage leaders, how do you create the conditions for that to happen? And so hopefully that helps you understand what the conditions look like yeah. and why it's so important in an organization.
0: Do you have examples of radical transformation through that process?
1: Yeah, there's been organizations that have had this view on, from the outside world of being extremely innovative. So their customers view the organization as an innovative company, but Mm -hmm. on the inside the work experience was nothing like that. Very much command and control environment. So the work was really around, again, we start with the data. So we have to share with people what the data looks like and why it's really, really important. But then we started to build these teams within the organization and started, they were almost like innovation or culture blueprint teams. And so if we want to create a culture that exemplifies one that's extremely innovative. How do we go about doing that? And so these teams actually got together from various parts of the organization, sort of went through what is there today, kind of the the current situation, what's missing. And from those kind of a qualitative process, we were able to share some real world stories with the executive team around, You know, we want to be this innovative company that we appear to be on the outside. Here's what's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. And from showing those data points, we were able to change some things as far as the access that people had to executives, the time that they had collaborating with each other, because before it was a very siloed environment, people didn't really collaborate. Just by putting people on these teams together, they got to learn other parts of the business, they got to learn other people. And so it was almost like the way the work that was being done created what they were looking for, the process sort of created what they were looking for. There's a blind spot indeed when it comes to this. I may see things and think things are very supportive of innovation, but really they aren't. I may realize through this process that the way I communicate with people, the way that I normally go to certain people to get things done, I have my group of people that I lean into or rely on all the time at the exclusion of other people. So those are the things that happen. Just We fall into autopilot. As leaders. And we don't really understand that. We don't see it. In the U.S., Black employees say they're 27% less likely to be involved in innovation. So it's it's true. And and they also say that they're 43% more likely to say that things aren't fair. And so if I'm only bringing 80% of myself to the workplace, there's no way that you're getting all the best ideas from me. So you have to create that feeling that I belong to get those things
0: i was thinking when you were giving that example your team must be really well trained on breaking bad news to, to your good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah and having those hard conversations yeah i can just see the okay we've got the report yeah <laughs> so let's start with the good stuff
1: <laughs> there's a balance to understand how much do i push and how much because you want people to be with you you want people to move with you and so if it's too radical, they're not going to hear it. And so, yeah, there's definitely a fine line <laughs> in how much you can push people.
0: But I would assume, in the example of that organization you mentioned, if there's a culture that goes against innovation, they must have already felt the heat in the fact that their innovation process is getting gripped, right? Mm-hmm you would think that it it starts to feel in the product development. And therefore, that's when mm, someone feels like, oh, there's a problem. Maybe we need to contact Great Place to Work to know what really happens as we cannot really see it from the boardroom, basically.
1: Yeah, it's almost like there's upside that isn't being realized. And so it's not moving something, in this case of this organization, it's not moving something from a negative or deficit to a positive. Mm. It's almost like, we're at a plus two right now, and here's a way to be a plus five to get even better. And so as long as things seem to be going well, and there's some gain, and I feel like things are on a positive swing, it may feel great to me, but I may not realize that there's a way to grow this exponentially that I don't even see.
0: Interesting. Actually, my my next question was very much related to the, the stats you just sent. It's the relationship between diversity and innovation. Is there a a relationship? I'm playing devil's advocate here. Is there a diversity and innovation relationship?
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's been some organizations that have done tons of research around this. And some of it, you you have to question of causal or just a correlation, but even in our research, it shows very strongly that, and, and others as well, diverse teams do create more ideas, better ideas, And also better at implementing these ideas, and it only makes sense because of what you get from diversity of thought, from diversity of experiences, and when you think back to the U.S., I give an example in the 2009-2010 recession. I had mentioned this earlier. Those were those five key groups that we found had the better experience when companies were dealing with through the recession and rebounded better, and they were more tenured employees, so the older employees, the employees of color, the frontline employees, women. And so if you think in terms of what groups seem to give the organizations sort of a lift during that period of time, it only makes sense because of the line of sight these employees had to the customers. The time that they've been with the organization, a long-term employee has seen many, many different scenarios. And so if you get a team together and you have a diverse group like that, it's only gonna give you more ideas, better ideas, and, and a better way to implement those ideas.
0: Yeah, of course. Another thing is as well, the fact that when you build products or services for a diversity of people it might make sense. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> to do it with a team <laughs> that reflects that. Right. <laughs> simply, simply put, <laughs> it's, it's just astonishing to see how many things have been made, produced, designed, by one group of people for a totally different group of people mm-hmm. without even wondering, oh, wait a minute, we don't have in our engineering team or our consulting team or somebody that could actually experience what we are going to answer with our product or with our service.
1: Yeah, it happens all the time. Any great leader should look around the table and see who's here and what voices are we missing or
0: or looking at nature as well, mm-hmm. looking at nature nature is probably the best creation product ever made and it's pretty diverse
1: (laughs) so true so yeah Uh, we have a little garden an organic garden in the backyard and you'll find in this little garden we have kind of a variety of different things that are growing at the same time and it it makes that garden pretty beautiful Uh, if we just had all corn back there it wouldn't be that pretty
0: exactly and when you kill the ecosystem by taking one thing out Nothing works. Right. So there's a reason for diversity in nature as well. Yes. So um, back to what I was uh, initially saying in, in the intro, we, I think we will all agree to say we live a very, very special time in history and especially in the history of the workplace. Mm-hmm. There's been just unprecedented investments being poured into our economies. I remember when I was a teenage girl learning about the Marshall Plan, and the Marshall Plan now looks like like nothing compared to what's going to be poured into the uh, U.S. economy. And everywhere in the world, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's a total paradigm shift in work practices. Technology is now really even going faster, accelerating more than ever. And this new generation, we just softly touched upon, but the the even younger generation, the Gen Z, is coming to work now and has very, very, very strong expectations Mm -hmm. and might be disappointed sometime by the reality of the workplace. And we have to, to take this in consideration as well. So, how do we leverage that time in the workplace where it can go? I'm a very positive person. I think it's going to go upward and it's going to be great, but it could also go very, very, uh, very sour for a while, at least for certain groups of people. Like, for example, women, people of color that have worked in the front line that suffered particularly from the, the, the economic downturn of, of the crisis just because of the place where they were working, for the fact that the, the work was often uh, part-time work or they were in the service industry. So how do we leverage this time for everyone as well Mm -hmm. in the workplace?
1: I think first and foremost, we need to reflect. We need to think about 2020 and what just occurred and spend some serious time, I would say, in reflection because you mentioned a digital transformation. We probably did more in that period of time that we were doing, that we would have done over a five-year period. And so things were sped up quite a bit. We were also exposed to some of the uh, inequities that exist to an even greater extent, many women had to leave the workforce and be at home to care for family members. That's always been the case, it's kind of the thing. If a male doesn't take care of the kids, then we know that the, the wife will. But if the wife doesn't, no one does. And so there's this heavy burden that's placed on women in the workplace. And we've done some research that showed how the level of burnout in 2020 for women was much higher than it should be, especially of women of color. And so there's a lot of things that we learn. And I'm fearful that if we just try to return to what we used to do quickly, uh, we're gonna miss out on this opportunity to make things even better. So for me, I think it starts with leadership, redefining what leadership is. And now we need to truly understand that we need to be great as leaders. There's an opportunity for us to be great. And how do we do that? Mm. It's not that we have all the answers, but our ability to bring these networks together and get people involved in getting things done, it's almost like we're the gardener. We, you mentioned a diverse garden. We make sure that we just care for this diverse garden. So that, that's a big part of like redefining leadership, I believe. And then we also know that from last year, so many things around the world has impacted what's happening within the workplace. And so I mentioned ESG as being really, really important. So the way we learn from this is we have to make sure that we know that Employees are representing those three things, a, a professional, a person, and a member of society, and they're impacted by these world events. And so let's make sure we're supporting people, and let's make sure we're taking a stance as an organization against the things that we know go against you know, humans flourishing. And then the third piece is, there's no reason for us not to trust the ability of people to get things done. They've demonstrated that in 2020. So as leaders, let's really focus on wellness. Let's really focus on giving people what they need and caring for people. So let's kind of up our human sensitivity gain, be more in tune with the person and the needs of the person. Those are things that come to mind. So it starts with that whole reflection and then just redefining some of the things that we know are important
0: in the workplace. And it's actually great to be a great leader. So Mm -hmm. it benefits you as well. It does, yeah. (laughs) Because when you're a great leader, you feel better. You feel good. You enjoy what you do. You enjoy working with other people. You trust them. It's so so much more enjoyable to get to do things with people you trust and that trust you as well. Right, yeah. That you know. Exactly. (laughs) thing, right?
1: I can almost (laughs) imagine my grandkids coming to me and saying, you know, in 2020, when your employees were dealing with the worst scenario they've ever dealt with in their lives, you know, what did you do or how did you show up? Mm-hmm. People have a difficult time understanding how to be an empathetic leader and how does empathy play in the workplace? I think an easy way to understand it is just think in terms of during mm-hmm. your employees, roughest year in their life, what would they say about how you supported them and, and how did you show up? So that's a good litmus test.
0: Thank you. It was, it was really a very interesting conversation. I could ask you another thousand questions. Yeah. Uh, is there a way our audience can stay in touch with you and connect with what the work you guys are doing at Great Place to Work? Sure.
1: You can follow Great Place to Work on LinkedIn. You can also uh, connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And that, that's a great way to stay in touch. My uh, email address is also my first name, dot last name at greatplacetowork.com. So that's another way. I'm on all the other social media outlets. And so I would love to uh, keep this conversation going.
0: Yeah, it's great because I can see just by giving your email away like this, how approachable you are. You definitely walk the talk. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is a mission that I care yeah. dearly about. And uh, you asked me about my journey at the very beginning. If I had to say this is where I would have ended up, I would in no way have guessed this. But I think all those different moves just kind of were part of the overall journey. So. We're, we're definitely a group of mission oriented people that love what we do.
0: Yeah, you are here for, obviously for the right reason. So you know you're in the place where you're supposed to be, although you didn't expect that maybe 20 years ago. Right. It's interesting. Yes. Thank you very much, Tony. It was a great conversation. Thank
1: you, Sophie.
0: You enjoyed this conversation, but you had a lot of questions still to ask the guests. Well, now it's possible with Will Digital Talks. Join us on willforum.com, W-I-L forum.com. Every month, we will have great conversation with people that are changing the game in arts, in literature, in politics, in business, and in science, followed by sessions where you get to ask them any questions you want for 30 minutes straight. Also... You get to meet with other participants and have speed networking sessions with them to see if you form a friendship or mentorship or maybe sometimes do business. So join us every month, willforum.com, W-I-L